When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Before us, an ordeal of the most grievous kind. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word victory. Victory in spite of all terror. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the other club with your own Dr. Michael Thiessen and Tim Tyso, the king of nuance and Mr. Thick, determined each week by your votes and comments in the comment section. So crown a king this week. And don't forget to share the show with 10 of your best friends and maybe 10 people who don't so much agree with you. Um, we might be shuffling our friends' contacts lists this week after this episode. Uh, but please share the show and like it and do all those good things for social media's sake. Uh, we want to remind you that this show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. The Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. ChristianWeek.org exists to provide a practical and balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. If you want to support our podcasting work, head over to thelibertycoalition.com slash donate and click that analysis box. All donations there go directly to Christian Week to help with our show's production. And if you want to support our legal and advocacy work, go to that same page at libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate and click other designations and everything there will go to our other important legal and cultural work. If you are an advertiser or a business owner or a church or any type of other organization that wants to partner with us and reach our audience, we would love to partner with you and uh, feature your work and your business on our shows. So reach out to media at christianweek.org to be set up as a partner. You can also find our shows on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network by downloading the FLF app. And you can enjoy a lot of great content there as well as this. Uh, Mike, we are doing some Smash Mouth summer podcasting. Uh, we're just waiting full on into the spicy culture wars as we uh, enjoy our beautiful summer mornings here in our coffees, um, but still working hard to offend as many people as possible and hopefully gain a few uh friends along the way so it's good to be back with you well good morning we're going to be talking about education today and it's a topic that you and i have um covered before and i want to give a little yeah. bit of context as why we're as to why we're bringing it up um so first of all uh i i sit on the board of uh ontario christian home educators connection and so um we at OCHEC believe that Christian education is very important. 
And we've been doing this for my wife and I've been homeschooling now for over 10 years and seen the, the wonderful joy that it is and, and the students you actually produce. Secondly, there's a story that Christian Week covered, Tim, uh, and they just covered it out of Germany. And uh, just so everybody knows, G Germany is, 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 is fairly hostile to homeschooling. And again, their hostilities, the government's hostilities have been shown where a Christian school has taken its case to the highest human courts in Europe after German officials refused to grant accreditation because of its innovative uh, hybrid approach, which merges in-person and at-home learning. And uh, so the Association for Decentralized Learning filed a case uh, at the European Court of Human Rights last week, uh, according to the um, ADF International, which is supporting the homeschool provider or the schooling provider, uh, and maintains that the German states restrict education and infringe on parental rights and educational freedom. So, so Germany's been hostile to education, and those hostilities we're seeing grow. And, and this is why we're going to cover this today. It's almost like educate your kids while you can. Because, you know, we saw during Pride Month, much of our Liberty Coalition Canada advocacy, uh, much of our support where, where Christians are standing up and, 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 they're, and they're making their voice known, they're preaching the gospel, they're sharing the wisdom of God. A lot of that came in the context of students in schools, you know, being thrown out of a school uh, for simply wearing a T-shirt that says there, there are only two genders. So... Um, the war for the direction of education is very important right now. And a place where people can control that war, uh, that direction, is by homeschooling and parents taking on the responsibility of schooling themselves. And so, again, the reason why, Tim, you're talking about, you know, another summer Smash Mouth series. I don't know if it's going to be that, that, that Smash Mouth, but, um, what happens over summer is that parents start planning for the next year. And also uh, people are on vacation. They're visiting churches. They're visiting Christian conference centers. They're, 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 they're traveling around and they're going to hear a lot of guest preachers. And so Tim, I know that uh, we've just already had somebody reach out to us with a story where they're visiting a Christian conference center and the speaker gets up there and just talks about education as any option any option is, is, is viable. And so with all of that context in the background, we want to maybe rehash some thinking that uh, I've done on education, that you've done on education, in order to help people understand it's a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal time. If you've been on the fence about education, you know, uh, if I'm being blunt, here's where, here's where the smash mouth comes in, Tim. Um, People at our church know that if you send your children to a public school, we will discipline you. It's now a disciplinary matter to say you cannot do that because of what you're exposing your children to. So I'll, I'll back to you and let's start walking through. Sure. Some of this stuff. Right. So I again, I, and I want to just uh, build out that context a little bit more because again, as you said, it's summertime, it's July. Parents are just stepping into that summer routine for the first week. Um, 
you know, wh whether you're up in Muskoka or you're in the suburbs and you're making plans to go to Wonderland or, or you know, hit the coast or whatever it is. Uh, mm. But we don't want the summer to go by without our listeners thinking very deeply about education and about the coming semester. So that's why we're doing this. Um, again, this is not necessarily easy vacation listening, uh, but we want to do this in a way that is most helpful and constructive. Um, and so, as you said, uh, where, whether you're traveling or listening to preachers or, or public thinkers on this matter, especially if they claim to be conservative or Christian, um, we really want to dial in to uh, analyze what the claims are being made and to test whether or not we can trust them. And as you said, Mike, I was just getting texts from a friend last night who was at a, a, a prominent Christian conference um, giving, a, and there was an hour long keynote address, the subject of which was Christian education. So this is presented as an authoritative stance on how Christians, and again, many of you aren't Christians in our audience, and that's okay because you've aligned with a lot of our causes and a lot of our concerns. And so when we say Christian, we're also talking about the cultural things that make life in Canada as good as it has been. Um, so we're not mixing theological terms, but we are creating a cultural statement by saying Christian or conservative. Uh, and, and again, this is presented as an authoritative ma uh, address, and this is how conservative Christian parents should approach education. And the speaker... Uh, as you said, Mike, literally said that all forms of education, including the public system in Canada, are viable. Uh, and, and this just sends, you know, the hair on the back of our neck standing up because we've done an analysis with two episodes ago on this show. We talked about indoctrination. We've just looked at Pride Month. Uh, we, we've just seen what's going on in the schools in terms of exposure to pornographic material and transgender advocacy and confusion and this is presented as a viable option for christian parents and what we want to say at the outset of the show is just don't don't believe these men who stand up in tailored suits and they're getting paid a good salary and they're in the respectable halls of christian influence and they're telling you there is no guilt to be had there's no concern every form is viable and 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 suitable as long as you go about it in the right way. And our stance and our conviction as both pastors and commentators on the subject is they are not. They are not all equal. They are not all equally viable. And we've gone, we've come to the point now where we would say they are not even all equally faithful. Uh, if you're a Christian, you cannot present yourself as faithful if you have a knowledge of what's going on. And that's part of what we're trying to do is just spread knowledge. But if you know what's going on there, and you expose your children to it anyway, um, you are what we would say in uh, in contravention of our confession. You are working against the cause of the church in Jesus Christ. So we have four strategic reasons to pull your children from public school, and it is not too late. You can do it. This is what we're talking about in the summer. You can start September fresh uh, with a new educating strategy. So Mike, here's my first point, and I want to build out some of what you've written. Um, the, the scriptures, sorry, homeschooling or, or pulling your kids from, from the public education system, it reformulates the home as a productive culture center. We talk a lot about the culture wars. Uh, this is something you've written on, Mike. So my, my first argument to pull your kids from public school is that when you homeschool, 
it reconstitutes and reformulates your home as a productive culture center. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for us in terms of what the home can be used for? Yeah, Tim. So um, we've got a few thoughts in, in front of us here that are important. So, so the, the first way that homeschooling and, and again, you know, Tim, we've talked a lot about it. You know, if, if we've got a number of Christian families that are cooperatively working together to do a, to do a, a Christian school, uh, God bless them. You and I've chose, we are not, we're not talking with the same level of passion towards homeschooling and Christian education. The, the difficulty with Christian education in Canada is we've just seen a ton of Christian schools just cave and and become liberal. And so part of the battle within within the educational model and with it is this 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 teacher uh, this teacher um, role and that teacher role really has to be guarded. Whoever you're letting your children sit under, they, you're giving them authority in their lives. And so, so all, you know, you're either Christian homeschooling or you're, you know, revitalizing a Christian school. And when we do this, when, when a Christian school, such as the school in Germany would have a hybrid model that, that, that mixes in, in class education or cooperative education with then, with then home learning, one of the things that happens is, is you just see how powerful the Christian home is uh, to do informal and formal discipleship. So you, you, you know, informal discipleship just occurs as children learn the habits of their parents. God has designed the the home to be a place where kids just watch and see. Uh, they 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 constantly catch all of the things that you're doing, and so homeschooling facilitates. And, and we've talked to it. We've talked about this before, but it's called a walk along, talk along, bring along style of, of learning and a style of discipleship. You know, your kids walk with you and they talk with you and you, 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 you bring them along and you do that on purpose so that you teach them lessons as you go. And so that's very informal. And then, of course, the formal aspects of things are reflecting on Deuteronomy 6.4 where you sit down and as parents, you actively – try to impress, stamp your children with the words of God. And you try to do that very specifically um, for, a, for a purpose. Well I, well, I just wanted to say, with respect to this first reason, which is that largely the, the typical Canadian home is vacated by about 8 a.m., right? Everyone's up early. Mom and dad, if they're, if they're both at home, they're both off in their separate ways to their careers or their jobs. The kids all get on a bus or walk off to their school and the home sits empty with the air conditioning running or the heater running, depending on the season, um, empty until five thirty, six o'clock. And when everyone comes back and then suddenly the home starts ticking again and suddenly dinner has to be made and uh, laundry has to be done and the mail has to be sorted. And, and, and suddenly the home springs back to life. Um, only with these huge, unnatural, empty and dormant periods all throughout the week. Um, and so when you talk about walk along, talk along, bring along, really the home is this unused facility where that contact between parents uh, could be taking place, where you're you're passing on the traditions, you're passing on the skills, uh, you're passing on the convictions and and all the things that come with a, a family life you're able to do that physically in a home. And, and 
you know, I, none of us would diminish the importance of owning a home, but I think a lot of us are underusing um, and under leveraging that home in terms of a culture center, because we all, we, you know, we all know about the culture war going on at the libraries right now and the, and the public um, built, uh, you know, uh, town council buildings or town halls or city halls, the culture war is happening in all these places, but we aren't oft, often winning or waging that war in our own homes and securing our homes as a physical place of cultural production. And that is what are the things we value? What are the things we do? What are the things we make? What are the things we pursue? Um, that all takes place in the context of a physical space called the home. And so I, I think Canadians really need to change their perspective on how their home is used. Um, when you, when, when you have that image of everybody leaving the house and then coming back, it, it, it's actually worse than that because they leave the house, they come back and then the church immediately, um, calls them back out in the evening to junior high group or young adults group or men's small group or m moms running errands, drinking coffee group, like, like. And so they come home, sports, you know, we let's get involved with sports. And so so you actually have the home being this place where people come and sleep. And rather than a place of informal and then formal discussion, uh, you know, formal teaching is when fathers sit down with their kids and walk through some stuff where moms sit down with their children and teach them subjects and it makes sure that the faith that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ is integrated into those subjects. When you are just on the go and never together, that doesn't happen. This is why this con this concept of education needs to just be rethought. Um, there's two other areas where where when you when you prioritize the or or you when you reshape education so that it re realigns with and, and, and re-parallels, re-partners with the home, what ends up happening is you also have men the, uh, uh, taking on that important role of fatherhood. And so when, when you're involved with homeschooling, you actually agree and acknowledge about the important role of, of fathers in the home. And at the same time, you do the same thing for mothers. You agree and acknowledge the important role of motherhood in the home. And now I, I've I've written on this extensively, and uh, a great proverb from this is 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 in the book of Proverbs. Um, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, Proverbs one eight, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And so, what we've done is we flip flop that, and we've said the expert teachers are the people who are going to teach are, are are the ones who the kids should listen to, and parents don't know anything. And we've had this flip-flop from scripture that says, listen to your father's instruction, listen to your mother's teaching. And we flip-flop that and said, ignore them and listen to the expert. And this is going to lead us in to our second point about the nature and the current climate of the public school system. But just before we get there, um, I want to stay on this point a little bit on, on how important or how normal you, when, when you turn around and you, and you change this, you just sit back and you go, oh, reshifting this to where fathers and mothers are actually influencing their young adults and it takes work and your kids are near you. 
it solves so many societal problems and it solves so many familial problems. Kids are loved. Kids are nurtured. Kids are disciplined. Kids have a grand vision of life. And parents are when they're failing, it's just utterly obvious there's no, there's no safety net. And so the church can help pastor parents towards parenting rather than trying to undo what the public system has done by running their own public systems type of programs. So, so, so one of the thing, and I just want to add into this because we're, we're focusing on the home and this, this bond between parents and children. And we're going to talk about that, as you said, in our second point. But I just want to give a little practical illustration before we do, just to bring this really to the ground level. Because formal education, we acknowledge, is very important. Grammar, arithmetic, uh, world history, geography, all of those things, we are granting that you're pursuing those things. But what I also want to point out that, as I've seen my children um, in their experiences, is all the things that you can't name in a curriculum that the children are picking up. So let's imagine a scene where you've got 30 people in a family home and there's a, a couple, a husband and a wife who have invited these four, five, six families into their home um, for, for a big group meal, a community meal. And especially in the last three years, we've seen that this played a huge role in um, in meeting new people and finding people who were like-minded and uh, and enjoying and cross-pollinating those ideas and those convictions and so forth. So we can see how, let's say, a, a meal in a home can be such an important task. And I think a lot of our listeners will look at it and say, yeah, that's that's a really wonderful community thing to do. But think about the practical aspect of putting on a meal for 30 or 40 people. Mike, you're really familiar with this. You know, we've, we've done this together a few times. <clears throat> you, you've got lamb, you know, on the smoker or you've got a brisket on the smoker. You've got gravies on the stove. You've got side dishes happening at the island, you know, being diced up and spices going in and combined. And you've got jus and you've got all these things. And how many of you in what I've just said go, I, have, I would have no idea how to put on a meal for 30 people, 40 people. And yet we can see how the practical benefit that those things would be. But how many of you, when your kids turn 20 or 23 or 25 and got married, go, I have no idea how to cook. And so Uber Eats is skyrocketing and, and, and skip the dishes and, you know, all of these things where the food is being outsourced because people don't learn the practical aspects of just preparing a meal, even for four or five people. Right. So culturally, we are in a deficiency, we're at a disadvantage if we can't figure out how to be hospitable. These are things that take place in the home through that contact that's happening between mom and dad and the children on an informal level throughout the day. Instead of the home being empty, you have these little learning moments all the time. And Mike, even when I've been in your kitchen where we're doing something totally different, you've said, hey, do you want to know how to make a lamb au jus? Yeah, I do, right? These informal moments that you can't plan for they happen when you're just sharing space in a home together. So it's kind of a roundabout way of just bringing this point home, literally, uh, on how important it is to be together in the same space as a formative experience for education. So let's well, go on to our second point. No, as uh, you were saying that, sorry, Tim. Yeah, there's more. There's meat. Well, no, but as you were saying that, I just you said, how do you put on a dinner for 40 people? And I look around and I have four young adults who are in the kitchen with me ready to put on a dinner for 40 people. The, the only issue is, is who's going to do what and who's in charge. And so as long as the, we have established that dad's always in charge, uh, dad's always in charge in the kitchen, 
Um, actually, that's not true. Uh, we have some rules in our home where um, if someone has designed a menu for the evening uh, and you want to help, the rule is they are in charge. If, if we've already agreed so-and-so is making the meal, don't come in and take over. Come in and, and uh, make yourself a subordinate sous chef uh, and, uh, and, and get in there or prep chef and, and get in there. So um, this point. Tim, that we're making, I don't want to, I don't want to move on to it too fast because I think our dialogue is going to be restricted to two major areas. The first area is reutilizing the home as a productive culture center and just as a, actually a, an economic center as well. Um, we don't need to, you know, there was this really funny Babylon B joke that came out and it said, uh, Chinese restaurant owner retires in order to spend less time with his family. Uh, and it's that it, it's that amazing truth that immigrant families work very, very hard to stay together and to support one another. And my daughter's always asking me to start a restaurant. Uh, one of the, okay, let's start a church. Let's start Liberty. Let's, let's keep going. Liberty Coalition Canada. Let's, you know, we had we had nine things that we're working on here, and and Mail is always like, "Hey, Dad, we should start a restaurant." So maybe in the next few years. But the point to that to that uh, joke, uh, and and the point to that situation is that families that work together actually are very productive economically as well. You know, uh, passing on generational work in order to transform it into generational wealth. If you've got a father who's built a company and children who are able to take it over and keep it building, you're going to, you're going to have a strong company. So, and just before we leave this area, one of the very simple ways that this happens, and Tim, and, and you, I want you to jump in on this one. One of the simple ways that this happens is simply by managing your time. So time management is always a key problem for spiritual and mature, um, for spiritual formation and maturity. And when you refashion your home to either be a homeschooling center or to be a home that has a hybrid relationship with a, with a Christian school, you, there's this unique opportunity to overcome time constraints and to overcome this constant problem of we don't have enough time. And I'll just, I'll give one example of this and then we'll go on. You know, a lot of parents are fighting school, church, sports, and then their own social recreational time. And when you bring a lot of things back to the home, a lot, uh, school happens at home. A lot of that social recreational time can be done at home. And what you find is you have much more time for some of these other add-ons. You go, oh, you know what? We're only out one night this week and we're out watching this sports event because we're with this child doing sports. Like, like you have a lot more time when you're together and investing. When the day isn't, let's separate and you go your way. And then now I have to invest. No, when your day is, we're investing all day long. We're investing, we're investing, we're investing. Well, then the evenings, you, you, have, a, you have a lot more time to just do the stuff you wanted to do without the guilt and without the actuality of not investing in your children. And if I could just give an example where, you know, I think since COVID happened, a lot of people are working from home. 
And part of my career does allow me to work from home. That doesn't apply to everybody. It doesn't apply to most tradesmen. It doesn't apply to a lot of people. So I'm just giving this example for those who are able to work from home. If you're a dad, uh, let's say lunchtime rolls around and I come downstairs and I, and I, from my office or whatever it is, my children are there eating lunch. Right. So like you said, Mike, they're already there and I can sit down and open the scriptures or I can take one of their history lessons and go through that over a 45 minute lunch period. Talk to my kids, get feedback, see how they're doing. Um, and there, and there's input happening there when otherwise you might be sitting in your lunchroom scrolling through your phone or, you know, surfing Amazon to see your next toy you're going to buy. Uh, but that's that's time recovered. Uh, and it's time reclaimed for the growth of your family just in a very uh, incidental period in, during the day. So I, like you said, Mike, I think time management is huge. And this brings home a lot of that time. Uh, so it, it increases contact between parents and, and children and so forth. And as people get involved with their children's education, both parents can't be involved in the same level. So we are talking about um, very most often the vast majority of homeschooling is handled by a Christian mother, a, a nurturing mother who is caring about and discipling her children. That's fantastic. But again, even in that scenario where you, where you can't be the guy who goes home, you're the guy who is at the lunchroom. What people don't understand is dad comes home very often as the principal. And this naturally lends into the authority of the father. This naturally lends into the leadership the father needs to show. This, this, this naturally lends itself to our, our, our men being able to govern their homes and therefore being able to um, be appointed to be elders in the church. You know, when children are being disobedient at home, we've all heard the antage, well, you just wait till your father gets home. We need to come back to that. And you have a bit of a formal capacity when the family's partnered to educate because the kids know full well that it's not just dad coming home tired and grumpy and going to be upset that you've upset mom. It's, it, is, it is a bit of that, and it is, it is also that dad is going to come home taking on his mantle of responsibility to ensure that the students of the school are not disrespecting their teacher. And so it, 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 it creates a more, a more purposeful reason for men to come home and support their wives in, that, in this. Now, again, man, homeschooling and, and cooperative schooling and hybrid schooling, th th this can take a hundred different shapes and forms. But we're talking about the family sitting down and saying, how are we going to uh, – see ourselves as the center of discipleship? How are we going to promote fatherhood, promote motherhood? How are we going to overcome time constraints and do this in a way that we are actually investing in our children? You can, you can do that in a hundred different forms, but this is the, the, these are the principles that Tim and I are talking about. And so we want to continue to promote these things. Which, which is actually, that's an even better segue than the one we mentioned about 10 minutes ago when we thought we were going to move Thank on you. to point two. But this, this is even better, Mike, because actually I think our second point, this is four strategic reasons to pull your kids from public schools. Just if which, you're by the way, I deleted in the walking into the room. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll go with three. Rule of three, or my we, dad always taught me. Or we'll, come with, or we'll jump up to five, but we just got to make that up as we go. That's right. So, so the second point is almost the antithesis of the first. 
The second point to pull your kids out of public school is that the public school is actually specifically designed whether or not the average teacher understands this. Public school is specifically designed to alienate children from their native or parental beliefs, whether traditions or religious beliefs or whatever. It, it, it is essentially designed to fragment off, to pull aside children from that home and to give them a new cultural identity. So it's, the, it's the flip side of this. It's the strategy that's combating what we just talked about in the first point. I do want to say that you have either won, hands down, won the title of the King of Nuance, or in that moment, you proved yourself to be utterly Mr. Thick. When in the context of our previous episode on on uh, with with the other guys with Liberty Lounge talking about uh, the residential schools in the context of all the Canadian history where you would say, rip them out of their native. You've either, you've literally either you've got one of those titles. I, I, I think with all of that background, you get the King of nuance, but this is where you should be honest. Did you intend for that pun? I accept your nomination. Yes. Yes, I did. It's a, it's an Easter egg. It's a throwback. It is a total uh, – it's a nod to our previous episode. So people, if, yes, you, if you didn't listen to that episode, what you need to realize is that part of the problem with the residential schools was not the partnership with the Native community, with churches and communities in order to assimilate um, uh, Indigenous peoples and their values into Canadian values. Uh, you know um, – if, if, we, if we look historically at at um, the chaos that was tribalism anywhere in the world, you realize that Canadian uh, Christian law is a benefit and a grace to 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 any type of tribal rule um, in, in indigenous rule, um, because of course Christian law is good. But what happened was. The, the the state stepped in and moved beyond this partnership of parent and community to educate their children and started to actually take the children out forcefully. And, and, and again, there's, you know, there's a, we went over this, but the point that Tim is alluding to is this issue that that's still happening. The state still wants to overstep and still wants to, Teach your children. So while Canada is on fire, while churches burn in Canada with people saying the residential schools, the residential schools, we literally every public school in in Canada is still a residential school. It's a, just a little bit different. Maybe maybe they've learned a few little lessons. They've learned a few lessons as not to tick parents completely off. But the problem is still the same problem. Teachers are still saying to parents, they're our children. They're not your children. They're the nation's children. They're not your children. And policies are being passed more and more that we're seeing. And this is happening in Canada and the U.S., especially in progressive states, where they're actually, from a policy standpoint, excluding the parent from the development of the child. And, and in Germany, Tim, this is exactly the story where Germany – in Germany, homeschooling is illegal because the, the state sees itself as its responsibility. So, so this is the difference. 
and it's all still happening. So, Tim, I am going to award you. I'm going to bow out of the race for the King of Nuance. I'm going to let you have it this this what this an week. Historic, yes, episode. Because e- because either you made a really good point, or you just were being offensive, and and you didn't lay the, you didn't land the joke well enough. So I'm going with sincere, punning Tim Tyso, King of Nuance. Okay, back to your so point. So awesome. Thank you. Well, so, so what takes place and this is, you know, it, and this takes some reading. This is, to, if you want to find out if, whether what we're saying is true or not, cause I'm not going to bring you all the sources on this. Um, but they're, they're out there. If you read, um, RJ Rush Dooney on the salvation of education in America, if you read, um, uh, John Dewey, who was a founding philosopher behind public education uh, in the West, you see that the idea behind state education was to fragment children away from these cultural centers that we just talked about in the first section. Okay, They're acknowledging the power and influence of the home. And they are saying, if we're not able to step in there and and drive a wedge between those deep, deep cultural connections between parents and husband and wife and those responsibilities, then we are not going to have the power that we need over the the direction of the culture. You you put it so well, Mike, at the beginning, the war for the direction of a culture takes place in children. And the state understands this and recognizes this. And and a state that does not acknowledge and recognize God's creative order, which is the family, as it has been well said, is a pre-political institution. It exists outside of and before political association or direction. It it exists before and prior to the state, not only in, in a chronological sense, but in an idealistic sense. It exists as a unit prior to any political coercion or influence. It it itself has its own necessities and its own responsibilities that arise out of its biological creation. So the family then is, is a point to attack for the state where that war for the direction is being waged. And so, and the, the shocking thing is if you, if you look at imperialistic history and colonial history, often a conquering army would drag away who the the young men so that they couldn't fight a war they would drag off the children and they would drag off the women because even if they left the strong men of the warring age they knew they they might last a few skirmishes but they wouldn't last a generation because they could bring in the women and the children and they could assimilate them into their culture and they would essentially vaporize and incinerate any cultural ties to their old land so they knew that they wouldn't have to fight a war in a generation. So this is the and the shocking thing is we do this voluntarily now. Christians even send their kids off to an ideological institution that seeks to destroy the bonds of the family. So yeah. that's kind Don't of my long way yet. of saying. Don't go there yet because we're okay. gonna we're gonna talk about we'll that as back. our third point. We'll let's back. let's stay on sure. Let's stay on the on the conditions of the state school. So uh, I. Of course, Tim, those two references that you made, you know, you can basically go back through any any dialogue of education and educational institutions are recognized to have power education forms. And I'm so glad you brought up that idea of of conquering kings, because that's exactly what we see in the book of Daniel. The young men in the book of Daniel are taken um, um, 
by the king of Assyria, uh, the king of Babylon. Uh, sorry, I, those are not the exact same uh, uh, titles. So by the king of, uh, of, of Babylon. And they are... Um, they are taught the customs and and actually tempted with the ways of that new of of that new culture and so there's a there's a few things here to unpack so i i think it's important that we unpack some stuff first of all that does not so so people would say education over indoctrination what we have to what we have to recognize is that that is not a true statement all education is indoctrination, and we Christians have to be a little bit more open and honest about that. And the reason why we are open and honest about that is because all education comes with a with a worldview behind it. And so, when we're saying that um, the public education system is corrupt and it's designed to take people away, that's because as an institution secularists have modeled created a system that accomplishes their worldview goals and so we're not arguing for a neutral system we're arguing for a christian system which re-empowers the family to do its job and then when the family gets its job done of discipling young children in the ways of the lord then the children walk in the ways of the Lord. So when Daniel comes along and he's taken away, they have a resilience to stand. And they, um, they, they can consider and count the cost and stand for truth and stand for Scripture in the same way that Daniel did. And so all education is power. All education has a direction, and that direction comes from the worldview, Tim. And you know this, and, and our listeners know this, but the worldview behind the education creates its form, and it so it has direct it's it, it sets its direction and then it creates its form. And so what you're talking about, Tim, is a secular worldview devalues the parent, inflates the role of science, science um in inflates the role of the teacher and the expert diminishes the words of god and then in order to do that it has to remove the children from from the influence of the home and so so this is very important because once you realize all education is indoctrination all education has a has a direction no education is neutral then you are again left with two choices do i model education after the commands of scripture which is that fathers are important mothers are important and children's are to be taught in the ways of the world uh, in the ways in the ways of scripture sorry in, in order to interact with the world or do i choose an educational form that is anti-christ now just as one more last caveat for the conversation, Tim, when our parents grew up, the form of education that was going on in Canada was far more in partnership with the Christian worldview than it is today. And so the situation is much more dire today than it was when my dad was reading the Bible in, in school and was given English classics that had um, wonderful moral godly points. 
So all of this to say, in order to tie up this section, the state of state education is that it is in direction and in form anti-family and anti-Christian. There's a there's a lot more um, in here that that I that I want to go to because you you talk about the worldview of the educational system. Just as a launch point, um, if you've if you watched uh, Antichrist in His Ruin, the documentary that we were plugging last week, our own Prime Minister, there's a clip in there where he describes multiculturalism as the quote mainstream Canadian experience. So this is an egalitarianism. That this is the agenda of our of our public state institutions. Uh, there, there's an egalitarianism that states that there is no value difference between religious worldviews. That multiculturalism is the mainstream experience. It's not a dominant Christian culture that seeks to assimilate the cultural blessings of other nations yet into a Christian law model and civic model. But we actually have a flattening where there there is no ostensibly there is no religious dominant direction. And so you literally have a fragmenting of, of culture and Justin Trudeau admitted that this largely becomes a reality. This, the, the mechanism for bringing this reality to life is the public education system. It is where you go to learn that your culture is a matter of preference, that your culture is a matter of shallow uh, indulgence. It would be like choosing an ice cream flavor or a, a fabric type for your favorite outfit or a color or what type of car you drive, but it has no deep transcendent meaning. It has no binding effect on anybody else. It is merely what you enjoy in your space and these people enjoy in their space. But of course, we know uh, that any religion that seeks to transcend that, you need to actually invade that space uh, and call it illegal and actually criminalize it, which is happening in Canada right now. So it's it's not truly mainstream multiculturalism. I'll let you jump in, Mike. People just have to realize that that is a full-on bait-and-switch. And, 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 and multiculturalism, what multiculturalism really is, is state secularism puppeting religions. Multiculturalism has never been about the respect of all things as true. It's never been that. Why? Because the assumption behind it is everything but science is untrue. So we rule the nation with science and we let the religions have a certain amount of freedom so it's it, this has been a bait and switch that Christians have been suckered into every time. It's like Hansel and Gretel; they're just following the little crumb trail, and uh, they're 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 following the can. They're, sorry, they're they're leaving breadcrumbs, but they're they're going after the candy, and it's like it, it, we get duped by it so often. Multiculturalism is nothing but state totalitarianism, and our good friend Joe Boot has done such a great job at the Israel Ezra Institute writing on this so often. And people need to see that because it's actually not, oh, is, is Christianity good versus 20 other options? It's actually, is Christianity going to rule the day under the rule of Christ? Or is the state going to pretend like nothing exists other than their viewpoint? And that's the alternative. So th this is what 
And I, I, I'm so glad you just highlighted that in the outline, Tim. I think this is a great point that you're about to make, and I want to hear it. So, so this is where I want to tie it in from a strategic standpoint, and and why you need to take action rather than stand by and say, "Oh, this multiculturalism thing is, you know, it's not working out," or or maybe you're afraid to admit that it's not working out. I mean, look at France right now. How's multiculturalism going for them? Right? Just Google France riots right now. Um, sorry if that bothers anybody, but this is multiculturalism to its logical conclusion because actually you cannot just erase deep culture. And this is where I'm going to get into Mr. Thick today. This is where I'm going to be just missing the point completely. Tim, if you look at the intentional globalist agenda where there is it's the same thing that we saw during COVID. You're seeing it right now where there's a lack of respect for any national boundaries. You're seeing it here in the United States. The left are just pushing hard. Just bring in whomever from wherever, like just allow the borders to be almost porous. You're seeing this in Europe. You're, you're seeing this in Canada. Um, um, because Canada is, is not so it's more landlocked in the sense of, you know, immigrants have to fly in, um, rather than really have a mass walk across the United States. Um, this is what their plan is. Their, their plan for multiculturalism is to promote chaos so that the state must then respond with, well, we let you religions have your way at it. We let everybody in and now you're going to fight about it. So now we're going to come down and, and have great control and we're going to capitalize on this moment. Um, it's got to be their agenda because it's happening everywhere. So I think your point is very appropriate, actually. We're seeing France being ahead of everybody else, but um, an unrestrained immigration without the assumption of Im assimilation into Christian values, this whole multiculturalism is just going to lead to chaos so that the state has to then step in. But I think what the left is learning in France is, what the heck are you going to do after you've – they've got a plan too. You know, people who are immigrating into your country, the, the drug cartels in the U.S., uh, you know, the the you know, potentially Muslim terror, ter terrorist cells coming in legally, um, they, they've got plans, too. And so you, you may not be able to eat your cake and have it, too. Good point, Mike. Uh, and as as far as side tangents go, I think that's an entertaining one, uh, if not a very concerning one for our listeners as well. Um, so I'm going to steer it just slightly back to the educational principle here of the, 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 the public education system. That's the agenda behind it, which I think is appropriate to highlight. Uh, it's an egalitarian. It's a whitewashing of all significant religious differences. Um, you know, I think our prime minister mentioned hor Chinese horoscopes and Ramadan and as if all of these things are just it's like playing Scrabble versus playing Monopoly. It's just so silly and trite the way he uh, teaches it, not recognizing that all of these religious practices have deep thousand year old convictions about a worldview and about the human person and its role in society that you 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 can't just diminish and, and wash away. So, and, and if you may think as a Christian sending your kids into public school, well, my child, they, they know the Christian faith. You know, we've, we've shown them, they've gone to Sunday school, they've gone to church. Um, and, and so they know the truth. And so when the teacher comes and says, you know, Hey, have you ever considered that you might be a transgender 
um, you know, that you might have you ever considered maybe being a homosexual, which is literally being done in public schools. It's experimentation assignments. We've seen them. Uh, what's your child going to do? How are they going to respond? Christian parents say, well, my child's smarter than that. My child, they know the truth. You know, my child knows biology. They, they, can, they can look at the evidence. And this is where we have failed in our own worldview. Because the public school creates an allegiance and a loyalty that is built around a social and cultural uh, commonality. You share a space with these people. You share meals with these people. You share traveling with these people, whether it be field trips or other things like that. You, you cre you're creating social bonds here and loyalties that transcend more than the family. They, they are superseding the family for their primary social allegiance. And this is what – parents, listen to this. We are, as human beings, we are not rational machines we are not truth seekers, okay? We are covenantal, which means we are born to be in a relationship. We are born to find a place in a tribe, in a people, in a movement. We are born to need that. We are spiritual beings. We desire and crave a, the truth about ourselves and a story about who we are and where we're going. And if, and if the school is providing a compelling community, those things will crowd out the, the rational confessions and the rational truth that you've instilled through the mind, but you've not built out in a life together. You've not lived out on a daily basis. So I'm sorry to say, but your, your children will not be loyal to you. They will not feel an allegiance to you. They will not feel a bond to your religion, which is why we have seen, and we've been quoting this stat for years now, we are losing 75% of our children out of the Christian faith, they're bleeding right out of the church. And we, and we turn around and we wonder what we're doing wrong. And I don't know if we're willing to look at public school as a total alienating industry that spins your children off into every direction ideologically. And we're going, I wonder what we're doing wrong. Maybe we need a new youth rec center. Maybe that'll overcome. It's like, no, you just need dinner with your mom and dad every day. You need to spend time with your siblings. You, it, it's a cultural allegiance and bond that you can't account for in a, in a curriculum or a textbook. So you've won both titles this week. You have won the King of nuance. <laughs> and then you also just, you cause I, I teed you up to say this amazing quote that you've got in the outline. And then you didn't say it. You, 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 you were supposed to finish that wonderful monologue with your children are learning to hate the culture that you are trying to preserve. And they're doing that with all of these these social allegiances. And just so everybody knows, actually, I want to bring this point up, Tim, because it's very important. This is going to lead us into our third point. So again, everybody, Tim wins both. I concede today. Tim is both king and thick. He is both. <laughs> well, which, which, yeah, but let, let's go to this point. Folks, how do you think Satan attacks parents? So, you know, we've talked a lot about kids getting sent off to a school and then coming home and parents trying to undo what's been done at the school. What happens when they're a 30-year-old and they let, – let me, let me just go through a few pastoral experiences in my life. Um, I don't know if any of these people would listen to my podcast. If they would – then uh, they should call me up and we'll continue to work at reconciliation. But um, 
What about the young adult who says, I'm going on a date tonight and comes home and then says to the entire Christian family, and I decided to sleep with her first night. You go, whoa, 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 what's going on? And then it's like, no, no, but I love her. And then that person with no recognition, that young adult with no recognition of loyalty to to, to just Christ, no recognition of loyalty to, to his parents and their values, goes and quickly marries, quickly gives all commitment to that other individual. Well, what happens, again, is the whole family starts going, okay, well, maybe this is going to be a missionary opportunity. Okay, same thing as a public they, – they do the same thing uh, as they do at the public school. Maybe this is going to be a, a missionary. My, my kid going out here is going to be a missionary. And sometimes that does happen, but more often than not, what ends up happening is that young adult is totally swayed by the worldview of the person they give their heart to. This is why we would never advise missionary dating, and we don't advise missionary schooling either. And what that leads to then is 10 years down the line, the young couple's married, they have children, and they're still not walking with the Lord. And what happens? Parents start changing their loyalties from Christ and from his way to maintain the relationship with the young adult who's never been confronted about their sin. And so what ends up happening is, is we see people in their 50s all the time being led, a, led astray by their 20-something, 30-something child. It, it's, say, it's the same thing with the whole university experience. Um, I can think of two illustrations in my own pastoral life where kids go off to school. Parents have not done a good job in the younger years, so the kids go off to university. They come home blue-haired and, and – um, uh, blue haired and liberal, you know, on fire for progressivism. And all of a sudden parents are going, well, maybe my views of homosexuality were inaccurate or, or, or maybe, maybe gender roles are really more, are, are, they're not important because, Hey, look at what my student learned in this gender roles class. Again, all coming from secular statist, atheism, which is anti-Christ. So folks, this is not just about your you shaping your children. This is about what are you going to do when you're in your mid-50s and your children have, have, have fallen prey? You know, they've been bit by the werewolf. They've been bit by the vampire. And now they come back home as the living dead in your house. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's just drink blood rather than a little bit of red wine or grape juice. And you go, well, that's really awful for the first year. And then after five years, it's like, well, maybe drinking blood isn't that bad because look at my kid. Like, yeah, sure, they can't go out in the sunlight and and, and, and sure, they're up all night and and and, and sure, like it, it's painful when they when they transform into a, a werewolf. Yeah, but but it, it has its upsides too, doesn't it? Like they're really strong. And, and so so this is what this is how Satan uses children then in the later years to attack parents. You have got to disciple your children young or they will disciple you when you're old. Ooh, I'm, I don't know. King of Nuance might be back up for grabs, Mike. 
well said. And I just want to close this section with a quote I heard from a Christian grandparent acknowledging that the public school system is perverted and, and predatory toward young children. And I heard this quote. Well, you know, the good thing is if you know what's going on in the school, then you can always counter it when they get home. <clears throat> and I thought, well, I think that pretty much seals it for me in terms of where these people are at. They're acknowledging it's perverted and they're just saying, well, we can undo it when they get home as long as we know what it is. And it's like, that's like saying, as long as we know where the splinters are, we can just pull them out. Um, first of all, you don't, and it, you think it's a matter of just rationally undoing it, which we just covered is not going to happen. But it's also the fact that this is our view of education. This is how low a view of education we have. Well, as long as I can undo everything they're learning at school, then they'll be okay. Like, this is your child we're talking about. This is not like a mechanic who gave you a deal that you're like, well, if the water pump goes again, we can always just take it to a good mechanic. These are your children. This is not your Honda Civic, okay? So we have we have so convinced ourselves that education is of such a trivial matter, which is the formation of your child's spirit and soul and mind and heart, which we want to direct towards the Lord God and his creative order. Uh, down to well, we can always just undo it if it seems broken. Uh, so we need to change our view of education, that it is the greatest privilege and responsibility we've been given as parents. And good grief, stop with the, stop convincing yourselves that this can just be done. Because as Mike just pointed out, they'll come home when they're 25 from university with all of their experience and you will become their disciple. Um, and so you, you'll find that those splinters are not so easy to find. Um, and you, you'll, you'll pick up more than you'll pull out. So yeah, it, it, and we saw this with during that. COVID. We saw this during COVID, where you actually saw articles saying, "How do you deal with your old, uh, your older conservative yes. uncle at Thanksgiving?" Your crazy and it's like, uncle, and and it's like crazy uncles are usually pretty good, you know. Like, there are some uncles who are not. We understand that there are some family members who are not to be trustworthy, but. The average crazy uncle, as I've said in the podcast before, was just simply saying, hey, you know what? Your parents are too nice on you. Uh, your little progressive views are silly, and this is what you need to be doing in order to live life wisely. Okay, so this leads us to our last point. So they're going to come home. They're going to try to indoctrinate the rest of the family. They're going to try to indoctrinate the rest of the church unless you thoroughly help them understand God's ways and God's creational order, that the value of his word. So therefore, and this is why we're getting to summer smash mouth, Timothy, if you are going away, you're hearing visiting pastors, visiting pastors are coming in, you're going to conference grounds, and a pastor gets up in front of you and has not deeply and richly thought about these things, you need to understand and you need to um, figure out how to listen and respond to that individual. And I, I want to give a very, I want to give a, a hearty illustration here. That's not that terrible, but it would be this. So um, on the, in the Twitter world, there's lots of pastors infighting. It, it, it's a, it's a problem. Um, guys get into camps and then they stop listening to each other. But this tweet came out last week and it was a guy by, by the name of Owen Strawn. And he would be a typical, a, a guy who would typically be, um, uh, in, in our area of theology and in, in our in, share much of our Christian worldview. So Owen, Owen's a good guy and he's been in a documentary with us, but this is what Owen uh, tweeted out. He said, the, 
the way to beat this hot nonsense, and he's, he was talking about Pride Month, by the way, is not to create a parallel society made up of Christians. The way to beat this hot nonsense is to stay right here, feet firmly planted, and oppose it without flinching. Now, there's a there's a few embedded assumptions in there. Uh, the 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 one the one embedded assumption is that staying right here um, is a, is a very it's a very vague term. Like you you don't is he saying stay in the education system? Is he saying stay in the church? Is he saying stay in the in the, in the in the company? There's two problems with it. Number one, and I want to address this: when pastors get up and tell you just to stay put, they don't really mean it. And what I mean by that is, Owen would never say, "Just stay in a company that constantly promotes." or tempts you into corruption. So if, if a guy came to, to one of these pastor's churches and said, hey, by the way, I've been stealing for 10 years. The reason why I've been stealing is I've been committing accounting fraud. Uh, what we do is we change numbers here and we do this, and it's all because the company tells me to do it. Now, I was convicted two or three years ago about it, so I started speaking up about it. And basically, they've told me that if I don't do what I'm being told, they're going to dump it all on me. So what should I do? Uh, I've tried my very best. What should I do? That, a pastor is going to say, well, you need to take that to the, you need to actually take that to the police because that's, that's illegal what they're doing. And secondly, you need to go work for a better company. You know, the guy's energy levels down. He feels utterly, you know, so, so Tim, the point I'm trying to make is we don't, this whole don't create a parallel society, don't create your own Christian schooling environment, don't create your own church environment. It's actually, it, it's actually false on its face. What they really mean is stay to a point, help to a point, uh, do what you can, stand firm, but they don't actually mean unequivocally stay in a hostile environment until you're utterly depleted and dead. Okay, Tim, you got me on that? Okay. The second thing is, is they don't actually emphatically answer the important question, which is, well, if I'm going to stay, how should I stay? With what tools do I use? With what mechanisms do I implore in order to stay and fight the good fight? Do I reform law? Do I reform the politics in, in, the, in the company? Do I reform the policies in the company? What do I do about education? What do I do about the educational process in the company? What do I do with, um, you know, do, do I have a public voice or do I only have a private voice? And so what's going on, and I, I, I wouldn't say that Owen is in this whole, in this bracket completely, but in this tweet, um, it, he shows some tendencies towards his pastoral error. Pastors who are refusing to see this, who are refusing to engage and, and, and create a vision for the church, right? Part of the, part of the role of a pastor is to feed his church and to feed the church with a, with a vision from scripture. Pastors who are doing this are missing two points. The first point uh, that they're missing is they're, they're being inconsistent. They themselves don't live in this reality every single day. And so they very easily send people into a, a very hostile world without realizing that there is a limit to hostility to what you can 
uh, hold on to, what, what you can endure. And then the second thing they do is they're not teaching with the actual tools to overcome it. So the very pastor who would get up and say, stay in the public school is not thinking with their people in a long term um, about education and how to actually stay and have a good fight. Since what, where have the Christian teachers been? Where have the Christian principles been for a decade? So those two, those two short-sighted issues or those two uh, issues where they show themselves short-sighted are they're not trustworthy because they're not really being truthful with you about the whole experience. And then secondly, um, they're, they're, they're truly missing out on how to teach you how to do what you're being called to do. I would just add to that. Um, a, a layer scripturally that you might find, um, and that is that of being an armor bearer. Okay, we see this um, in scripture, the, the old idea of, of uh, somebody carrying the armor for the one doing the fighting. And, I, and what, I, what I see in what you're saying, Mike, is, is pastors who are unwilling to be the armor bearers of their people who are actually out on the cultural front lines and who ought to be sticking their necks out and speaking up and resisting certain aspects of these evil agendas. But we essentially have pastors saying they're washing their hands of it. I don't want it to come back to me that I told you to go into a PTA meeting or into a, a regional um, school board meeting and you lit fire to the place, you know, verbally that you trashed all this stuff. And it's because your pastor said that Jesus reigns in that place, in that cultural center, uh, they don't want to coming back to them. So the, so the advice is so often pray and prayer is critically important, but they don't want anything to happen that, 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 that cannot take place privately in a closet. They don't want to present any practical strategies or solutions. They don't want to stick their name on anything that could be construed as, uh, you know, being forceful or being um, too upfront or or waging a quote culture war because that's not what we're about. So they just refuse to bear anybody's armor. And, and I was so just going to say when you say strategies, sort of idealistic statements. I was going to say when you say strategies, you, what what what's actually going on is they're refusing to use scriptural strategies, scriptural applications. Like the 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 role of a father is clear in scripture. The role of a mother is clear in scripture. The role of uh of um. Uh, community and the role of the priests to teach the to teach the um, to teach the community is, is clear. The role of, of pastor is clear, and, and they replace it with an entire, entire, an entirely different theory. So, how do, how do we bring this around? It's summertime. I, I think we've. I think we, this might be a, a listen over episode. Maybe this is one you want to go back through with your wife, or your husband, or. Maybe you've got teenagers in the house, and this is something that you can chew on together um, as a family and talk about this. But um, how do we bring this around to practically? We're going to sign off. <laughs> what can you do? Um, I, for me, the thing that I want to leave with our listeners, Mike, is be willing to look at this eye to eye with what we've said. Uh, because a lot of what we've said, I think, is pretty patently clear. And the issue is not whether or not these things are true. It's whether or not parents are willing to look at it for what it is and to actually stare the beast in the eye 
to live by faith and to say, I, I think this might be the case. I think this might be for me. I think my child's spiritual and, and physical future might be at stake if I don't act now. And I can. So I, I think for me, it's it's the courage to look at the truth as it is and then to respond in a way that is biblical, which what we've laid out, the, the scriptural command to families to do this um, and to and to recognize that you are making a decision by faith. Most of your church is going to look at you as extreme, as conspiratorial, as, you know, as being a hermit. Oh, they're they're going to accuse you of hating those in your school who are lost. They say, well, then if all the Christians pull out, then what will happen to the, to, to the public schools? They will follow their logical end. The question is, are your children going to sink on those ships with them or will you pull them off in time to disciple them and to preserve them and make them effective evangelists uh, when, when, they're, when they're through that age of discipleship? So I would just encourage parents, really take, like chew on this stuff. If you've been offended, if you've been really confronted by what we've said, we're not doing it just to, for clicks. We're not doing it for just circulation. We, we want to reach people with this particular action, this actionable truth, uh, and, and you can be a part of that. So don't turn away. Don't just say, I've made my decision. I don't want to hear anymore. It's hard enough. You have no idea what it's like. It's not easy. We're not suggesting any of this is a, is a quick fix or it's a matter of switching your favorite milk brand in the fridge. It's a major decision, uh, but it's going to take major conviction and really staring these things down for what they are and then responding by faith. That's the whole idea is that we're offering a worldview where there is a God who is uh, gives us his spirit and who also commands um, the alignment of the stars and, and all those sorts of things. So we serve a God who can do it and who can empower you to do it. So that's just what I want to leave you with. And and we made that decision as a family. And I wasn't there when we were first married. I, I didn't think the issues were as significant as they are. Um, so from from coming from both sides, I was public school educated. Um, I've, I've been brought over seeing these things for what they are. And so um, don't shy away. Don't turn away from it. And don't just brush it off as, you know, more right-wing conservative conspiratorial extremism. Uh, you, you may be being called to that um, even right now. So I appreciate everything you've brought out, Mike. Um, vote for King of Nuance. I think we've left it a little bit up in the air. So vote for the King of Nuance for this week. And thanks for listening. Uh, Mike, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, my last word is I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the Christian parents who have gone before us, who have grappled with their scriptures who have sought to align their families to more of a biblical pattern than to align it with a North American pattern. I want to thank people like Jake and Heather Swartz, who are the executive directors for OCHEC. I want to thank um, the men and women in the local churches that I pastored who challenged me on this and, and dragged me over here and Tim, you said that you were dragged here. I, I want to say thank you to these parents because this has not been a pastoral-led movement in our generation. Maybe a generation ago, pastors understood the power of education. But right now, the classical Christian education movement, the uh, Christian education, home education movement, these movements are primarily um, wise, discerning parents who are leading this. And, and so you will likely do this 
without the support of your pastor, everyone. I, I This is partly why that third point we brought out, you know, we're Tim and I are not always trying to be hard on pastors. Yes, if I fully admit it, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I've lost a lot of respect for many of my um, many of the men who would call themselves a shepherd of, of of their flock. But I think I feel much more that they're either a hired hand or um, uh, or a, fa- a Pharisee. And, and and religion is an industry. It can be an industry just like anything else. And so so with that with that. Uh, conflict of interest being admitted, which I like to admit, um, I truly thank the Christian parents who were more diligent in their word than I was until they called me to this, called me to the word and allowed um, the patience of, of, of me learning and, and, and developing as both a father and a pastor. So go and do this. And if you're seeing these things in scripture as you ought, don't be discouraged if not everyone comes along because um, this, is a, it, it, this is a road that is not a popular road uh, at this time. But you can do it. The more you do it, the more you will realize that God's vision for education and discipleship are much more harmonious and better than the North American view. And I just want to thank all of you parents who went before us. There were parents who did this like 30 years ago when it was almost unimaginable. And I just want to thank you pioneers for doing that. Everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure you share this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And until the next time, ate proxima.